Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. So Brad came to the end of the pool and spoke to me and he said, I've got two options. One option was to get out of of the pool, go straight back to the hospital room and shut the door and don't do anything with my life or stay in the pool, never give up and keep trying to to swim and and get those strokes over. So I chose that second option because I never give up. Lauren is one of the most determined, focused and hardworking athletes you'll ever meet. Swimming and triathlon have been in her life ever since she was little, and after coming second at the Ironman World Championships at Kona as an age grouper, she turned pro. But it was a week before her first full Ironman as a professional when tragedy struck. Lauren was on a training ride when she had a freak accident and was told she would never walk again. Sport changed Lauren's life forever that day, but it was also what saved it. She was soon channeling her passion and drive into paratriathlon, and despite her triathlon past, This was like starting somewhat over again. Yet it was just less than a year later that Lauren was pulling on the green and gold at the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast. She now has world titles in multiple distances and a silver medal at the Tokyo Games after being pipped in a sprint finish by less than a second. A result which, as incredible as it is, devastated her. Lauren still deals with unbearable nerve pain from her accident. That's before she even arrives at the start line of one of the most gruelling races there is. Kind of gives you some inkling of just how tough she is. And for Lauren, it all starts with a sport-obsessed little girl growing up in New South Wales. I love the water. Um, So I grew up as a swimmer. I learned to swim from a young age and I showed some talent. And at the age of seven, I was competing at like state for swimming. Uh, I was also involved in surf lifesaving. I lived near the beach, so I loved, as I said, I loved the water and being anything to do with water sports, I just wanted to be a part of. And I was really competitive in surf lifesaving growing up as well. But swimming was my main, pool swimming was my main uh, sport. And I really wanted to, you know, compete at the Olympics one day as as a young kid. I had idols um, in swimming that I looked up to. Susie O'Neill was one of them. But, yeah, a young Lauren Parker, um, yeah, a lot of energy that um, my mum needed to take me to lots of sports to tire me out. So where did triathlon fit in? When did that come into your life then? Yeah, so, um, so yeah, I was swimming competitively up until I was 15, So I raced at the Olympic trials when I was 14. Um, My main event was 200 backstroke. But when I was 15, I got chronic fatigue and I was out for a year and it was just hard to get back after that to the level that I was racing at. Um, But I couldn't, I found that I couldn't quit because it's all I knew was training and swimming. Like I would swim 16 kilometers a day. Wow. So I thought I'd give triathlon a go. I did a triathlon um, with my school and I really loved it. I really loved it. I loved the atmosphere. And when I finished school, I really wanted to um, get into it. So I entered my local triathlon in Newcastle and also bought a bike. I was going to say, have you ridden a bike or anything (laughs) at that stage? Yeah. No. <laughs> um, so yeah, bought bought a cheap bike in the paper, <laughs> um, and yeah, raced my um, first full triathlon, which was um, pretty sure it was Olympic distance. Um, and I in that race, I got seen by a, a national coach, and th- they were a talent ID coach, a d- talent identification coach, and he saw that I had talent and wanted to coach me. So I soon moved quickly into a training squad um, and a triathlon environment. And, you know, a year later, I was racing around the world with triathlon. It was so you went from buying a bike in the paper, right place, right time, got picked up in a talent ID program. And next thing you know, you're doing the ITTU circuit, the World Series circuit in less than a year. Yeah. You like to fast track um, It happens so quickly. Yeah, I do. But um, I had during my triathlon years um, in the early stages, I got a, a lot of injuries like stress fractures. Sure. During my whole able-bodied career, I had a total of eight stress fractures. Is in that my because shins. maybe you didn't have that conditioning 
like leading into it, like you took up the bike and the and the run leg so quickly. Is that got something to do with it? Yeah, um, a lot of swimmers when they go from swimming to suddenly pounding on the legs, mm. you know, from running, um, you get a lot of injuries. Um, but my first uh, my first stress fracture was from my own fault. I had an eating disorder, um, mm. and yeah, I got my st- first stress fracture. Mm from you know my <laughs> my own cause but bone density being less because of when did you yeah, have your eating disorder um, when was that that was when I was 19 mm. 19 when I first started so then after that I just kept getting injured throughout my whole my whole career and I, I've seen I saw a lot of doctors had a lot of scans um my training program changed throughout the years to to try and you know just uh, increase the running load slowly, but I still kept breaking down. Um, the only triathlon that I was I haven't done a triathlon fully prepared with a full run preparation, and the only one that I was fully felt I was fully prepared for was the one I was training for when I had my accident, mm. um, but. Mm. Yeah, these things happen. <laughs> I'm going to get to the accident in a second, but can I just go back to your eating disorder? Can I ask you a little bit about that? Was that yeah? Um, like, when did it start, or how did it start, and and how did you I don't know, manage it? Really, I want to say get over it, but I've talked to a lot of people with eating disorders, and they say it's something that you, you never quite get over. You just have to keep managing in some way. What was it like? Yeah, for you? you do have to keep managing. Um, so I was dealing through uh, with a lot of stuff um, throughout my teens uh, and that led to, you know, confidence, self-confidence, um, like I didn't have much self-confidence mm-hmm. and or um, confidence in my own self, my, my body image and that led to an eating disorder that, you know, I just didn't, like the way I was mm. um it's a very mental a mental battle every every single day and triathlon definitely helped me get over it but also meeting uh, my my best friend uh, in triathlon he helped me get through the things I was struggling with um his name was Brad and yeah I met him when I first uh, started in the first train tri- triathlon training squad when I first started triathlon and yeah he helped me through a lot of things um mental battles but which I'm very thankful for I've seen a lot about your friendship with Brad on on Instagram and, and from following you for a really long time but it seems as though it's a very special special friendship that you two have yeah definitely definitely wouldn't be the person I am today without him that's really awesome um so you were getting injured all the time, yet you still were able to do like a full Ironman triathlon and compete at Kona as an age grouper. So before you turned pro, you competed yeah. at the World Championships at Kona in Hawaii, which is the big one. Yeah. Can you tell me what is it about the Ironman? And for those who don't know, it's a 3.9 kilometre swim, 180 bike ride, plus a marathon at the end of that. As if that wasn't enough, then put in 42.2 kilometre run. But to do it at, at Kona is something incredibly special. But what is it about the aspiration and, you know, that and the fascination with Kona Ironman in this world? Yeah, I mean, I just love a challenge and I loved the endurance of Ironman events. But when I went to Kona, it was just something about the race, the, the whole experience, the atmosphere, uh, the conditions of Kona that made made the event such a tough event to conquer and uh, I love the heat so I think um, you know I thrived in the heat and as everyone else was suffering (laughs) I would uh, keep thriving I guess I would uh, gain strength from other people suffering but yeah I just loved and the heat racing. wind, is there a lot of wind as well? So a lot of wind, yeah. yeah, and it dries your mouth out when yeah. you're on oh. the bike. So you constantly need need water and you, you you keep running out and you're trying to get to the next aid station um, <laughs> with a dry mouth wow. from the wind. Yeah. But, um, 
yeah, the conditions definitely make that tour course uh, tough, really tough. But um, I loved it and, yeah, just the whole experience and the whole atmosphere of Kona is like no other race mm. that I've done. It's so iconic, that race, and what everyone strives yeah. to to be able to get to and achieve in in Ironman. You came second as an age grouper in that. Something that you're really proud of, that that race, and what did it mean to you at the time? Yeah, um, I was aiming to win it, <laughs> but um, I was proud that I was able to get there. Um, I was also only uh, overcoming an injury at that race as well and to come away with a second-place podium at Kona, I, I was proud of myself and it was a tough day and I was winning until the last 6Ks of the run. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was uh, – I was just, yeah, thankful to be there and in twenty four because in 2014 – I also raced Kona, but six weeks before that event, I had a bike crash and broke my elbow. Oh, wow. And, and I actually raced the event with a broken elbow. <laughs> so then in 2015 to get second, um, yeah, I was proud and it was a good experience. So what was next for, for Lauren after Kona then? So then I turned pro and the whole my whole goal was to one day win Kona as a professional. And so I had my sights set on that. Uh, and then, I, so in 2016, I raced a few Ironman events as a professional, just gaining experience in the professional field because it's a lot different to racing age group. Uh, and then my sights were set on Ironman Australia and Port Macquarie of 2017. And I just wanted to have a long, slow build-up um, so that I I wouldn't get injured. I just needed to be patient and I had to really learn patience. And, yeah, my prep was just everything went smoothly for that preparation. I just did everything right and my my bones didn't break down and I felt as strong as stronger than I've ever felt and the fittest I've ever felt for that event. And then my life changed. <laughs> well, tell me back to that day. It's a week before your first full Ironman race as a professional and you're out on a training ride. Can you take me back there? Yeah, it was a Tuesday morning and uh, it was a beautiful sunny day, no wind, so perfect conditions for a ride. And so it was two weeks before Port Macquarie Ironman, so I was it was my last hard training ride before tapering down mm -hmm. and I had a few efforts on the training ride but I was on my last two-minute effort and both my tyres burst and I went flying into a guardrail at 45 kilometres an hour and just two minutes before riding, you know, warming down, going back to the car and going to mm -hmm. my next session. But, yeah, I found myself on the, on the road in intense pain uh, I broke my scapula, broken ribs, punctured my lung, broke my pelvis and broke my back. But all that could be repairable, but my spinal cord was severed and I was left instantly paralysed from the waist down. And I remember lying on the road and someone was holding my neck uh, and I was struggling to breathe because I had a punctured lung and um, Brad was standing over me. He was trying to calm me down so that I could, so that I could breathe. And I asked him if I was going to be okay. And for the first time he's answered and said, no, he like, he doesn't know what, if I'm okay. Um, and I, f I remember feeling my legs for the first time with my hands and I, I couldn't feel them. And that was, that was um, a very weird feeling, but I thought that I'd just go off to hospital and they'd fix me up and I'd be walking out, but that wasn't the case. I was rushed into surgery to get my spine fused together with rods and screws and that very same day the surgeon came in and told me that I had 
zero to one percent chance of ever walking again and that I'd need to live the uh, the rest of my life in a wheelchair. What was that like hearing that? And that was really hard. Um, I I guess it didn't sink in right in that moment. Um, I didn't know what was ahead of me but I thought I definitely thought my life was over if I had to live the rest of my life in a wheelchair. Uh, And I remember that first night in the hospital, once everyone had gone home, I was just laying there and I felt trapped because I couldn't move. I just had surgery, a big cut down my spine and I couldn't move my legs. I couldn't get up. I, I just felt really trapped and I was in so much pain. I had nerve pain to, um, 90% of my body uh, and I felt this pain for the first time that night and it's a pain that I never thought existed. Um, It felt like and it feels like I've still got it to this day. It feels like I'm being stabbed with needles everywhere Mm. or like my body is being cut up with a chainsaw. Like it's like my body, it feels like my body's on fire and that's 24-7. So you're talking to me now and it feels like your body's being cut up with a chainsaw. Yeah, so from my chest to my feet, I'm in horrific pain, Mm. absolute horrific pain. But I've learned to deal with it, I guess. I guess being an athlete before my accident has helped me get through pain Um, and I think that's helped me now deal with the the pain that I'm suffering and definitely getting back into triathlon after my accident and having my mind focused on something else helps with the everyday pain as well. Is it because you're an athlete you can't take any drugs to deal with that pain or is that wouldn't help regardless? Um, So there's only a few medications out there that help neuropathic pain and it doesn't do and doesn't really do anything for the nerve pain. I'm still in intense, horrific pain every second of every day. And that's what people don't see when they look at me because I don't show it when I'm in public. Um, I try and, you know, be happy and have a smile on my face um, and be pleasant, but it's definitely different inside me. Um, I feel like I want to scream. All the time. Yeah, and people don't see that pain. They just see, you know, things, everything that I'm achieving and they think that, you know, life's good or life's better now that I'm in a chair and be, be able to, being able to race for my country, you know. Um, but it's definitely, I'd, I'd give every, I'd, st- I'd still give everything to have my life, my old life back. Mm. You would? Yeah, 100%. I would give everything away to be able to have my legs back, not be in pain Mm. and be an able-bodied person again. Mm. Was it in Port Macquarie where you had your accident or was it? No, it was in Newcastle Newcastle. where I I live um, on the main road. It's a town called Raymond Terrace, but it was on um, like the highway that goes towards Port Macquarie. What blew your tyres? So the, you know, the screws, um, oh, sorry, the rubber that goes across the road that counts the cars. Mm-hmm. Um, so that had been taken out of the road and they left the screws in the road um, and they were in the road and they were loose. So as I rode over those screws, both my tyres burst because they punctured. Wow. So if I was one millimetre either side of those screws, I'd be, I'd be fine. I'd be walking. Yeah living my life but yeah life changed just because of those screws is there any compensation for that yeah uh there there was a little bit but definitely not enough to cover my life yeah uh, or what happened uh, like how it ruined or changed changed I should say but well ruined and changed my life um yeah. Yeah, there's d- definitely not enough, but which is oh, in the road. It's yeah, mm. for someone else's fault. Um and the 
the system that's set up for people that have accidents, you definitely, there's not enough compensa- compensation in Australia, mm. which is a shame. Yeah. Yeah. What would it take with all your success, all your achievements, everything that you've done, what would it take? Because I've heard you say before that you still don't enjoy seeing the person that you look at in the mirror. What would it take then for you? How much success? What would it do for you to actually see what we see in the mirror for those others around you and the people that 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 see you what what would it take for you to see that in the mirror um I don't think it's about success I think it's just about you know seeing myself in a wheelchair I don't like it Mm. I don't like seeing myself with a disability it's not me I spent 28 years of being an able-bodied independent person doing the sport that I loved and working hard every single day to Uh, succeed and I don't think that I'll ever get over or ever accept my accident or the way I look in a chair Mm. no matter how much success I have even you know I've I've now got the goal of obviously getting the gold medal at Paris (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but even that my identity I've still lost my identity that I've always known. Mm. Is it time? Will time enable some of that, do you think? Because, I mean, it hasn't 2017, it's not that long, right? It's just five years ago. It's not long, but I guess the, the pain is the hardest part mm. to live with and I know that I can't live the rest of my life with the pain. It's just like it's pain just unimaginable and I don't know how I get through every day really uh, to be honest but definitely training and having goals get me through that and but yeah I've definitely lost the person who I thought I was. Mm. We know I'm an outsider and I don't know you well but we all admire the person that's staring back at me right now and the person that people are listening to on this podcast just mm. have so much admiration and respect for and everything you've done before and after your accident, accident Lauren. You've just been told you would never walk again and sport is your life. How soon did you start to think about sport? Because I know fast forward it wasn't long until you were competing again but for you in that first night lying in bed, how long did it take you to go, okay, well, maybe there is a sport option for me in paratriathlon? Yeah, uh, it was about four months after my accident and a friend of mine who is the co-founder of the Challenged Athletes Foundation in um, San Diego, he uh, rang me up when I was in rehab and said paratriathlon exists, exists and that it was possible for me to get back into in triathlon if I wanted to. And is that Bob Babbitt? Yeah, yeah. That, that was Bob Babbitt. And he said, if I want to get back into paratriathlon, into triathlon, it starts in San Diego. And he invited me over to the Challenged Athletes Foundation Triathlon Weekend, which was, gonna, which was in October of 2017. I was still in rehab at that time and I asked rehab for five days away to go to San Diego to um, watch this event and to see what it was all about. Um, But they didn't let me have five days away. They only let me have three. Well, I thought I couldn't get to San Diego and back in three days. So I ended up signing myself out of rehab. In Australia? And it was the best. In Sydney? Yeah. Yeah. It was the best thing I ever did because they were so negative in there. Like they told me I would never be an athlete again and that I need to live the le- learn to live the le- rest of my life in a wheelchair. Uh, and so I turn up to San Diego and I meet 500 people that have had accidents just like me mm. or, you know, people with disabilities that had smiles on their faces that were competing in the triathlon that weekend. So I thought if they could do it, then I could do it. Mm. And if they could be happy, then I could be happy. So 
that's where it all started and I got inspired and came back to Australia and got the equipment that I needed to start paratriathlon. Because how long is a recovery process? How long was your recovery? How long was rehab for you after your accident? Uh, It was around about six months. Yeah, and it was four or five months after that you were, that Bob invited you over to San Diego. Yeah. So what was it like then? The pool's a big part of of rehab, the pool and water. Mm-hmm. That was your happy place. What was it like for you then in rehab or even after you decided to get into paratriathlon? What was it like for you to get back into the water again? Yeah, so I was really looking forward to getting into the rehab pool to really show everyone what I could do. So this day... I had my cabin goggles ready. I got lowered into the rehab pool and got ready to um, swim. And I ended up pushing off the wall with my arm and I couldn't put two strokes together. I just kept trying. I put one stroke over and couldn't put the next stroke. My my legs were just sinking to the floor. So I paddled to to the end of the pool and I was just devastated. It was this one of the worst days I've had since my accident. So Brad came to the end of the pool and spoke to me and he said, I've got two options. One option was to get out of, out of the pool, go straight back to the hospital room and shut the door and don't do anything with my life or stay in the pool, never give up and keep trying to, to swim and, and get those strokes over. So I chose that second option um, because I never give up. And by the end of that session, I did three continuous laps of the pool, a very short pool, but I ended up showing myself that if you believe in yourself, you can do it. And that's where, I guess, from that day at all, that's where it it started. So what other differences were there from going, you know, you're a triathlete, right? So, but... Was paratriathlon like starting over again or something completely different, like a different sport? Because obviously the bike's different. You, I mean, triathlon, apart from the swim somewhat, but it is really like bottom half heavy, right? And then suddenly you're using your arms to use the bike and, and again to push yourself off in the, in the run on the chair. What was that like? Yes, at first, I really hated using my arms because I just I just wanted to use my legs. I missed running so much, and uh, it took a lot of work to build up the strength I needed in my arms. And there was a lot of sessions at the start, you know, on the bike, having to use a hand cycle, on the run, a racing wheelchair, and for the swim, I could swim with wetsuit pants, and and that would lift my legs up, so I could swim, but. It was all arms and I really struggled with that at the start. But once once uh, I got more strength and, and weeks of training under my belt, it, did, it got better, but I still had those days where I just wanted to run mm. normally like everyone else. Hand bikes, using your hand, that's, I mean, it's trickier than it looks, right? Definitely, but um, the the racing chair was actually the most difficult to learn because it's very technical uh, and, you know, you've got certain gloves that have to be moulded to your hands and you've got to push them on the push rim in a, in the right place uh, to get the momentum. Uh, so that, that was definitely difficult and it's still difficult. I'm still learning. Uh, I'm still trying to get better. Um, I'm always trying to better myself, but yeah, that the run leg is the most difficult. When was your first race then? Yeah, my first race was January of 2018. And your accident happened um, in April, is that right? Yeah. April, April 2017. 2017. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's not like much longer. Yeah. So I had like a month of training or, you know, one, one or two months of training and yeah, I did my first race in St Kilda in Melbourne. Uh, and then I qualified for the Commonwealth Games in that race. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. 
And then so and then I raced Commonwealth Games only 11 months after my accident and yeah, got a bronze medal. Insane. What was that like for you? Because obviously, I mean, less than a year after your accident, it's not that long to go from your accident to Commonwealth bronze on home soil on the Gold Coast as well. What did that mean for you and your family? Yeah, it was so surreal. Like I never would have thought that I'd be representing Australia in only 11 months after my accident when I was only lying in the hospital bed thinking my life was over. Um, It definitely meant a lot being at the Commonwealth Games and, and, you know, getting that bronze medal, although I I always want gold. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I I did wonder that, that you you said you're so competitive. Yeah. And then yeah. every silver or, or bronze, it's the gold that you want. But yeah, given how quick but, you mean, took up the sport. Definitely. And I didn't really have any idea what I was doing, like with the new equipment. Yeah. Uh, I just uh, started the swim and just went for it. And I was leading the race until the last kilometre. Oh, <laughs> Um, Seems to be an ongoing pattern. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the finish line, I did, I decided to hit a barrier and do a flip Uh, only only 50 meters from the finish line. uh, But luckily, luckily I got turned back over and I was able to finish and still in third place. So. Wow. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Can we talk about the Paralympic Games? Because obviously you were a Com Games bronze medalist. You were world champ by that stage. But the Paralympics, that was a big one. That was the one that meant a lot to you, wasn't it? Definitely. And, well, initially once I started in paratriathlon, I wanted to become world champion and that was my goal as a stepping stone towards Tokyo. And so I became world champion in 2019 and my whole goal was to go into Tokyo Paralympics as world number one. And I worked so hard for it, but, you know, I also had so many setbacks. I had five spinal cord surgeries during my time as a paratriathlete. And then during my Paralympic prep, I was also in hospital for 20 days with cellulitis and I had surgery in that then as well. So that was in the middle of my prep. So I had, after I got out of hospital, I really had to knuckle down and work hard and I worked the hardest I've ever worked (laughs) because Tokyo was coming up fast and I went into Tokyo feeling really fit and ready to go. I felt like I'd done so much work that I was just feeling ready and I just felt so at ease when I was going out onto the start line at Tokyo, knowing that uh, I was about to get a gold medal, but that didn't happen. (laughs) Um, Things happened in the race that prevented that and came down to a sprint finish and against um, Kendall Gretsch from Mm -hmm. America and she beat me by less than one second. (laughs) Let's break it down. Let's break it down because I remember these moments so well. You were leading for so long of that. Where did it, what happened? Where, there was something with when you were trying to overtake the girl who eventually got bronze, yeah. wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. So 800 metres to go, there was a U-turn and I caught the Spanish girl right on that U-turn and who I was overlapping so I, I couldn't go anywhere because it was a U-turn. So I had to stop my arms and I lost all momentum. Mm. So I got around the U-turn and I made a risky deci- decision when there was a sharp left hand right after the U-turn and I, ca- I come on the inside of her and that was risky because she could have, if she'd have moved over on the inside, we would have both crashed. But I got around quickly and got my man- momentum back up again, but... I lost about 10 seconds in that whole scenario. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, when it comes down to a sprint finish and I lose by a second under those circumstances, it was definitely hard, hard to deal with because I knew that 
before the U-turn, I knew that I had I had it covered because I was getting the time splits um, from my coach and other people on the course and I knew that I had enough time to get to that finish line first and, yeah, it was um, a hard a hard one to lose. <laughs> I remember just looking um, on Instagram finding, how is she feeling? What's happening? What's happening? And you didn't talk for a really long time and on Instagram or anything because that was like how I just wanted to to hear from you. Yeah. But for you personally, what was going on straight after the race? Where was your head at? I definitely felt like I failed. Um, I failed my, I felt like I failed myself. My country, Triathlon Australia, Brad, um, just everyone. And, you know, I'd spoken about the gold medal for a, a long time and I knew that I knew that I had it and for the circumstances that took place, it was just hard to come to terms with. I don't mind coming, like, well, I don't like coming second, but I don't <laughs> mind coming second um, in, and getting beaten by a better athlete on the day. But when things like that happen on the course, um, yeah, it was, it was just really hard and I felt like it was... I was the, it was the most disappointing race of my life or mm. moment of my life, mm. yeah. But when I think back about it and when I look at the silver medal, I think that, you know, what I'd been through mm-hmm. to get that were, and what I'd had, had to overcome to be there mm-hmm. was massive and I hope that I showed kids out there that, no matter what happens, just never give up um, and always strive for, for your goals. So I hope that I inspired people out there. A lot of people, not just kids, a lot of people. It's always hard when you're disappointed a big race like that and you have, you know, such a focus on, on getting gold and this happens and you come silver, but putting on that brave face when there's cameras and everything in front of you and people talking to you, it can be quite difficult. I know that, that there was a um, a bus ride back to the Olympic Village that was really interesting for you because you sat next to the lady who won yeah. bronze. Essentially, that's not the person that kind of cost you the race. Yeah, but you sat next yeah. to her. Can you take me back to that well, bus ride? Well, I was on the bus already and I had a, an empty seat next to me and... Yeah, the Spanish girl, Eva, she come on the bus and asked to sit next to me because we were friends, we're like we're friends. Mm. Um, so, yeah, she asked to sit next to me, so I, I said yes. But I was looking out the window the whole bus ride <laughs> just thinking, oh, damn it, <laughs> you know, you cost me the, the gold. But, you know, I was just thinking that. But um, she was celebrating her bronze medal mm. and she was over the moon with that and I'm, I'm, I'm happy for her and... We're still really good friends, but, and I, you know, I've, I've never spoken to her about it and I never would. Um, but yeah, that was uh, a hard moment, a hard bus ride. <laughs> but you celebrated with her, that bronze. You didn't show her yeah, that you were yeah, disappointed yeah. at all no, about your silver. No. You celebrated with her, with that yeah. bronze. You talk about, I hope that other people are inspired um, by what I did and, and little kids out there and, you know, in four years going from your accident to... Paralympic silver, there was one person at the Paralympics or a few people that came up to you at the Paralympics and and told you as such. Am I right? And there was even one girl, Jessica from Brazil, that gave you a special moment. Yeah. um, Because she uh, had a a tough preparation leading into Tokyo. She burnt her legs. uh, So she was going into... Tokyo with her legs patched up from like the severe burns she had and she said that if it wasn't for me and everything I'd been through then she wouldn't have got through what she had got through she said that I inspired her to really push through and and to never give up and that anything is possible if you you know believe that you can get through the hard the hard times and and all the surgeries I'd been through and everything yeah, really inspired her to, 
be able to push through and, and make it possible to get to the games. So she's a really special friend and, and competitor. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy that I could be that person for her. Was there something with the transitions that you had that also cost you a bit of time in the end at the Paralympics? Um, yeah, well, I, I wasn't able to take my normal race handler uh, to Tokyo because I had to choose between Brad or my race handler. His name's Dave. And I knew Brad could do the handling as well. Um, but not having my actual race handler not able to go definitely cost me some time. Um, and, yeah, it's just unfortunate that I wasn't allowed to take my handler that and that won't happen again yeah <laughs> I'll be taking yeah both Brad and my my race handler um yeah it's definitely it's definitely important um you're, you the transitions are just as important as swim bike and run mm. like Oh, there's a lot that goes, uh, you have on your Instagram for anyone who wants to see, you've got a clip on there about transitions and you can actually see what it, like transitions are so important in every, in every sport when you're transitioning and in triathlon, but for paratriathlon especially, it's, it's really important. And you can see that yeah. you should go physically lift you up and make sure nothing's rubbing against the wheels yeah. or anything like that. So yeah, yeah you could see how, how important time is for that. Was that a, a COVID Paralympic Tokyo thing or was that an Australian thing? Um, a bit of everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. COVID thing about how many people were allowed in the village, but um, yeah, it was a lot of, a lot of things that uh, came, prevented me from having my, my handler in the village. Mm. Good thing is you finished Tokyo Paralympics and it's only three years, not four years until Paris. Yeah, yeah. It's started away. It's come it's coming up fast though. It's it only two years away yeah. and yeah. um it's gonna come up really quickly. So the, the preparations already started. So from the Paralympics, um how soon were you back in training? And was Iron Man and a seventy point three, was that always in your plans to do? Yeah, so it was in my plans. So the 70.3 Ironman World Championships um, in Utah. So after Tokyo, we flew to Vegas and I was training in, we were training in Vegas for a week before going to to Utah for the 70.3. So there was absolutely no rest then from the Paralympics no, to... No, maybe a day. Wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I was in <laughs> Vegas on a training session on... Um, well, I just finished a bike ride um, and Brad put me in the car and it take, takes him about 40 minutes to pack the bikes back in the back of the car and pack it all in. And I was in the front with the air conditioner on. It was a 45-degree day outside. I had my feet up on the dash and little did I know that my toes were burning against the windscreen because I can't feel my feet, so... That day I got third degree burns over all my toes. Um, we drove to St. George in Utah the next day where the 70.3 Ironman was going to be held and went to hospital and they said, it looks like that I'll need all eight toes amputated oh, wow. because, because they were so burned. And I said, no, I, I believe my body can heal them myself. I don't want them amputated, so do everything you can to prevent that. So um, there was an, ama an amazing team at the hospital. They did everything they could and they saved my toes. Um, but I also said that I still wanted to race a week later in the, in the <laughs> 70.3 Ironman. So the doctor said no, um, but he left the room knowing that the nurses would do everything they could to help me get to the event. So mm. uh, they did everything... They could, two of the nurses that were beautiful people came to the event, um, to the Ironman race and actually they were in transition and after the swim they re, um, redressed my feet and re-bandaged them up, them up for the bike and then after the bike, before the run, they redressed my feet wow. again to make sure there was no infect, like, you know, mm. they couldn't get infected. 
So it, it was only possible for me to race because I had an amazing support system from the hospital there. And then a week after the 70.3 Ironman. Which you won. World Championships, which I don't know how I completed because it was the hardest course I'd, I've ever done in my life. Just the hills and the the conditions on the day and having burnt toes and other emotional stresses that I was going through. I don't know how I finished, but I did and became 70.3 para world champion. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then <laughs> a week later I raced at Cozumel, a 70.3 Ironman, and um, my nurse, who I'm best friends with now, a nurse and a doctor, came, flew all the way to Cozumel just for me to be able to compete in that race as well. So I had, I met, they I didn't met have some to, right? Women. They weren't being paid to yeah. do this at all. Uh, yeah, they didn't have to. They went out of their, you know, out of out of their own pocket and and will to want to help me. So wow. yeah, nurses are some, special people. people. Yeah. All over the world, nurses yeah. are just some of the best humans. I have to say, yeah, that's incredible. And then the one, the nurse that I'm best friends with now, she, after that race in Cozumel, she said she'd come to Abu Dhabi with me for this, for the Paratriathlon World Championships in November last year. Yeah. So she also flew to Abu Dhabi for me um, to support me there. And I won that race as well. I became world champion. Um, (laughs) I love the way you say that with that smile on your face. I don't. (laughs) Um, nervously leaking it out that's it that says two things to me a like I said nurses are incredible people but b it also shows me the effect that you have on people because people don't just do that at all Lauren they don't just go out of their way the way those nurses did um especially fly into internationally to support you I mean that just tells me having just met you tells me the effect that you have on people. Um, so what then? Because that's 70.3, which is half the Ironman, full Ironman, Kona. Was that the next goal? Uh, yeah, so, um, well, last year I had planned on doing Kona, but it got postponed and it got postponed to May of this year but they decided to have it in St. George in Utah where the 70.3 was. So the 2021 Ironman World Championships from Kona was in 2022, but in St. George, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so in May. So I can't believe I went back to St. George (laughs) when I thought the 70.3 was the toughest course I've done (sighs) and decided to do double that. Um, so to finish in 14 hours, I think, um, was a, was a long day. (laughs) (laughs) Incredibly long day. Grueling is the way to describe, describe that and that sport. Um, I don't know if it's an appropriate question, but which is harder than if you're one of the rare people that has been able, like so few people can complete an Ironman. I mean, is it... which is harder, which is more grueling, a para Ironman or an Ironman? Uh, probably para Ironman as a para athlete, yeah. Uh, just having to use your arms and we've got this the same cutoff times as the able-bodied. Right, okay. So there's a lot of para athletes in the past that haven't made the bike cutoff by even 30 seconds and they haven't mm. been able to continue onto the run. I know. That's awful. How, how, how tough would that be oh. doing 180 kilometres and then missing the bike cut off by 30 oh, seconds? Unbelievable. Um, so I always had that in my head, but I ended up having a, a great time on the bike, um, like doing a, a good time on the bike that I, I made the cutoff time by quite a bit. But um, that was always like in the back of my head or what if. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I hadn't done an Ironman as a para-athlete before. Yeah. But um, now that I've done my first one, 
I, I want to, at Kona, I want to shave off two hours. Oh, just a little bit then. Yeah. <laughs> shave off two hours. Yeah. So 12 hours to do Kona. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's insane. But you know what? After chatting with you and hearing your story and hearing your mindset, I have no doubts at all that that's something that you'll easily be able to do um, because it seems as though everything you set your mind to, you're able to do. And I think there's a lot of inspiration. I think that we're all taking in from that. No com games this year? Uh, so my category isn't in com games. It didn't get chosen. So they don't have a wheelchair category. But they did unfortunately. at Gold Coast. They did at Gold Coast, but it's up to the um, host country, the host country to oh. pick what events. So they have the visual impaired um, in the triathlon yeah. at com games, but not the wheelchair category. That's um, ridiculous. Which is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I've got other things like with I'm able to do Kona now and I'm also I've only just been told yesterday that I've qualified for the World Championships for the cycling, oh. for the hand hand cycling events. At, which, this year at Wollongong. Yeah, oh. no, they're gonna be they're gonna be in Canada for the para. Oh right, awesome. Um, so Canada like uh, Montreal, a town near Montreal, oh. um, in August. So was that on in your plans or is that something yeah. that, yeah, awesome, that you've picked up along the way and just thought, okay, well, why don't I do cycling on its own? Yeah, so I've wanted to qualify for the World Champs for a while now and I did all the qualifying trials and everything and, yeah, I've just made the team. Yay. And my goal is to try and make Paris for the cycling events as well. Oh, so you'll have para, yeah, triathlon and paracycling. Yeah, so with the cycling, it, um, there's a time trial and also a road race. So I'm looking to do both. Yeah, right. That's awesome. Yes, I'm getting excited. That's really cool. Can I just ask you, because you talked about your toes being burnt, but you've also recently burned something else, haven't you? Your, was it your leg? Yeah, I know. I've been through a lot yeah. since Tokyo. Um so it took about five months for my toes to heal and, well, mostly heal. They still haven't fully healed, but it took about five months. So, And then I got home and I, I had to dress my toes every single day until they, they were almost healed. And then in January I was on a – I was in doing a run session and with my racing wheelchair, my – ankles sit on a metal foot plate um, underneath and it was during summer so that metal foot plate was hot and as I was doing the session my my ankle was burning and I guess the friction as well so I got really bad burns on my left ankle which had I then had to have a skin graft um, so I got a skin graft taken off my thigh, put onto my ankle. And start that and process again. So I, yeah. Wow. I had to start redressing wounds again. So I think it was like a year of dressing wounds because during the Tokyo prep, I was also, also had the cellulitis that I said, and I had surgery then as well. So yeah, for a year I was just dressing wounds. Wow. I'm crazy. It gives us an indication and an idea about what you what you go through and so something so simple could have such a, a big impact. Yet here you are still conquering the world now in cycling as well as triathlons. Um, with that pain and with everything you've gone through, art is something as like a side project for you or a side passion for you that that you do but does that is that some kind of release for you your art yeah definitely um I love to draw and it is a release I like to draw what I'm feeling and I like to put a lot of emotion into it uh, I feel like I'm getting everything out onto the pages um and people look at my art and they get different sort of meanings from it. But, um, yeah, it shows my my most recent artworks, yeah, shows a lot of emotion of my pain and emotional and physical. Mm-hmm. I think um, you get a really strong – I've seen a couple of your 
artworks and I got a, a really strong indication of of that through your artwork. They're yeah. amazing. They're Definitely really great. Definitely a release, yeah. Emma Carney, you're working with Emma now. Just I a, am. a um, World Triathlon Hall of Famer, Australian Triathlon yeah. Hall of Famer. What's it been like working with them? I know. A legend. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> yep, she's so amazing. And um, so how it came about is I was reading her book and I messaged her back in January, I think, and said, I'm reading your book. It's amazing. Um, and then we just started chatting uh, on social media and we just clicked and um, I felt comfortable with her and we decided, um, oh, we we realised we were going to be at the same event in February at Devonport Triathlon and we met up there for, and I was able to meet her for the first time and um, it was just really great and um, she wanted to help me out. Uh, I was going through a lot of changes with my team and, you know, Brad can't be at my races many of my races anymore um so she said she could step in and help me um compete in my future triathlons to be able to get there and help me uh with my luggage and um she helped me with my Ironman prep um for the world championships in Utah and so I decided that um yeah, she was going to be really good for me and decided to change coaches. But that was a hard decision, but I also felt like I needed a change and um, I felt like Emma was going to be really good for me, um, yeah, leading into Paris. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, yeah, my future working yeah. with her. And um, she's uh, she's got a... Yeah, she's amazing, um, like two-time world champion back in the 90s and she's been through a lot herself and, has, uh, uh, you know, knows she has a lot of experience mm. and I, I can learn a lot from her. So, very yeah, cool. she's been great. Very, very cool. What a partnership. Two legends. Can you tell us um, and give us an idea because it changes for every athlete and every sport but how do you fund your sport and traveling all over the world how is that possible yeah it's it's so expensive um I'm lucky enough to have some great sponsors that helps my travel um triathlon Australia uh, I get some travel to major races from triathlon Australia mm -hmm. um like my airfare but I have to pay for also the, the helper that goes with me so like at the moment it's Emma um so I've got a I, I pay for her um to, to come along with me so I've got my coach there and help her with my luggage but uh flights are so expensive and I've got to cover a lot of other flights um for myself and whoever comes with me um, and at the moment, especially flights are expensive. I'm trying to book Montreal flights and it is absolutely ridiculous. It's um, going to be over a 30K trip just to get to Montreal and back um, for Emma and I. So that one's expensive and it, it all adds up. And, uh, you know, you, you well, for me, Although I've got some amazing sponsors, uh, it doesn't cover all expenses and sometimes you go backwards, sometimes you go forwards. It, yeah. Mm. It's a balance, it's just, right? Yeah, really hard as an athlete, um, especially in the times at the moment when everything's so expensive, flights have gone up. Mm. And, so you just rely on sponsors and then the Triathlon Australia funding? Yeah, I mean, I don't uh, like the Triathlon Australia funding um, just cover a small part. Just those events, of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, everything else adds up and it, it makes it really hard. The other side of being a professional athlete, isn't it, that a lot of people don't see? Yeah, definitely. Hey, um, in every podcast we ask someone that's been a part of your journey and someone that you know and been close to, um, to record a secret message. Um, and yeah, we got in touch with Laura Siddle, 
who, <laughs> um, and she had a lot to say about you. And here's what she recorded for us. Hey, Loz, how are you doing? Um, I hope you recognise this voice. Um, if not, I'll come after you. <laughs> um, so we first met back in 2017, and it was just a few weeks after your accident. Um, you were down to race Ironman Australia in your first professional full full Ironman race. And I was racing too, aware of you as this new up-and-coming athlete um, with huge ability, particularly in the swim, but just having having crushed it at age grouper and now turned professional. And just a couple of weeks before the race, you had your accident. And although we didn't know each other at the time and <clears throat> I didn't know you, the the news of that just shocked shocked the triathlon world. And I, mean, I was fortunate enough to go on and win that race in, in Australia in Port Macquarie, but it it wasn't without thinking about you that whole day. And after the race, I remember driving down to Sydney and coming to meet you in hospital. And I'm not really sure what you thought. Um, I wasn't really sure what I was doing either, sort of meeting someone for the first time when they've just had a life-changing accident like that. But I, I drove to Sydney and we caught up. I didn't know you when you were a, an age group athlete, but I can see from how you approach your sport now and the training, how determined and driven you are and your your work ethic and um it's pretty inspiring and how you've adapted from that person I met in hospital so raw just so world turned upside down to embracing as much as you can because I know it's not all roses for sure your life and the athlete and the person you are now and developing into that incredible athlete in a distant, different discipline. Um, it amazes me how I know you're in constant pain all the time and yet you're, you've learned to deal with that sometimes behind the closed doors and not necessarily let the world know. Um, although I think you should be, be open about those, those troubles and how you manage that because I think it will make a lot of people just understand a little bit more about what you deal with, but you, are so determined and motivated and driven to be the best athlete you can be, um, to look at everything you can to be that, to be that on the top podium, on the top of the world, to get faster, to get stronger. And it's just pretty inspiring to watch. Um, I know we always laugh about the little story from when you were up in Port Macquarie and, um, we were going out for an easy ride. It was pretty cold morning and you didn't have any socks or shoes on. And I was getting a bit worried that, you know, your feet would get pretty cold. And I think I said something along the lines of, you know, do you not want to put any socks on at all? Like you're going to get, you're going to get pretty cold. And you just kind of looked at me and I think Brad did as well. And just sort of said, she can't feel anything from her, her legs down, you know, or a belly button down. And it was just one of those sort of like, crashing down to earth moments felt like an idiot but I know we laugh at it and we still joke about it today and in the different situations um and then when you burn your feet and you burn your toes the other way um you still need to put those socks on Lauren don't forget to put your socks on but yeah just remember you are an amazing athlete an amazing person and keep driving and striving to be the very best you can be big hugs take care and hope to see you soon as I said, everyone you meet, you just have such an effect on. That's a such a that's such a special message. Uh, Laura's just so amazing. Um, ever since I met her, we've been friends, and she's come to uh, she's come to the Challenge Athletes Foundation Triathlon Weekend. Um, I think every year since, or bar one. Um, but to you know, be there to support me, and um, she's a very special, very special friend. And to get that message from her means so much. We finish off every podcast by asking each and every guest if they could go back in time and they could talk to that little Lauren Parker. What would you tell your little Lauren Parker self if you could go back now? Probably have the confidence in myself and. And my abilities, um, not to worry about what people think of me, um, and always believe in myself. Don't let um, 
everyone that doubted me, don't let that shape my success or how I felt about myself. Mm. Um, so, yeah, definitely have the confidence in myself and don't worry about whether I'm good enough or cool enough as a 10-year-old. <laughs> um, yeah, just make sure I, I be myself and always work hard towards what I want to achieve in life. Also, if I if I could tell my 10-year-old self now that things have, can change in life in a split second and to make the most of every single day and work hard at what you, what you want to do in life, yeah. Well, you know what? You give out so much inspiration. I have loved following your journey. And, I, you know, it's, it broke my heart to see you so upset after Tokyo. But um, I don't know, something about your journey and you. And like I said, everyone who meets you, you just have an instant impact and they just feel with so much admiration. And I share that admiration. I've been trying for over a year to get these podcasts happening and I'm so glad um, that we could do it. And I'm so glad that we could do it after Tokyo as well. Um, keep going. Good luck in Kona. I can't wait to see you take on that course Thank and you. absolutely dominate. Good luck at the World Chance of Cycling. You're just giving me so much to um, to get excited about and to follow you and, and watch your journey. Um, it's been a real honour chatting with you. Thank you for being so raw and, and honest with us. I think that's all anyone can ask. And, um, and yeah, I think you've won over even more fans now. So good luck, um, stay in touch and thank you so much for sharing this story with Uncle Game Road. Thank you for having me. On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, producer Lindsay Green, audio producer Nikki Sitch, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. 